Welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Akshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We uh, welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we will do our best to answer them. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, MIT Sloan Review, and other major publications. He's a sought-after keynote speaker and one of the most influential business and innovation futurists on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my co-host, Vala Ashar, one of the top followers on Twitter for CIO, CMOs, for insightful insights, really about anywhere from CRM to business and life. And of course, he's also a TV personality himself, an author, and more importantly, a world-renowned keynote speaker. So, but that's not who's important here. Who's important here is our awesome guests that we bring every week from startup CEOs to VCs, to authors, and to very, very interesting thought leaders. Who do we have to kick this off today, Ba? Uh, we're fortunate to have an incredible CEO as our first guest. Uh, Grant Halloran is the Chief Executive Officer at Host Analytics. Grant has over 20 years of senior leadership experience in enterprise software, a career to date marked by positions where he drove high growth and global expansions. Prior to joining Host Analytics in 2019, Grant was the EVP and Chief Commercial Officer at OmniSci, a venture-backed big data analytics company where he oversaw sales, marketing, and alliances and customer success. During his two-year tenure at OmniSci, tripled in revenues and employees, so incredible success. Before OmniSci, Grant served on the executive team at Anaplan, uh, as well as Infor, following Infor's acquisition of Orbis, where Grant was the CEO and co-founder. You can follow Grant on Twitter at Grant Halloran, G-R-A-N-T-H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N. Welcome, Grant, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much, Feller and Ray. Great to see you guys. Happy Friday. Hope you're all recovered from uh, Halloween. Halloween, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> happy Halloween. So yeah. happy Friday. More importantly, well, the 49ers got up. 49ers got up again last night, and so uh, I just have. I have to tell the audience that I, I'm a great predictor of things. So after week three, I did predict that we would go eight and zero. So wow. unfortunately, I didn't gamble on it. But uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. That's awesome. That's <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. Time. So, well, hey, you, you are in one of the hottest spaces in the market. We're seeing a revival of the post-digital back office, right? This is everything from finance to supply chain to planning to analytics that are supporting that. Um, and it's never been a better time. So tell us more about this, well, the shift that's going on, and how is that role of finance changing? Yeah, I, I think the first thing to, to note is that, you know, business is just becoming increasingly complex, right? If you think about, you know, a decade ago and a decade ago before that, compared to companies today, um, almost every company that you talk to, um, they have much more complex uh, internal organizations, right? They've had... They're, they're either being acquired or they've acquired a whole bunch of companies. And so um, that's created a lot more complexity in their business. Their supply chains um, are more complex with globalization in the last 20 years. Um, you know, technology disruption, which you guys um, know more about than I do. It's just incredible. You know, new competitors can come along at any, any point in time, right? So this is a, the big shift 
that's happened, I think, inside business is that we've just become a lot more sophisticated and complex. And so what that's meant for uh, modern sort of finance teams, I think it's meant a couple of things. Um, firstly, you've seen finance evolve to become much more of a business partner. And we hear this a lot, but it's very true. Much more of a business partner to uh, the different department heads, the different folks that, that, that are running um, you know, the business on a day-to-day basis. Now, let me illustrate that. So um, most organizations today, you will find that the FP&A team, financial planning analysis team, um, have liaisons, have partners that work with the departments, okay? So what that means is that those folks have to almost become experts in the functional aspects of the business if they're gonna be able to provide that, that realistic support. So I think this is the very first thing, you know, if you're working with the, the marketing team, marketing has been just completely overhauled to become much more of a technology uh, oriented function today um, you know with the, the rise of the internet and digital marketing so you know the finance team have to really understand the mechanics of that they have to understand how it all connects in to the sales department if they're going to be an advisor and a help uh, to the business so i think that's the first thing and then the second thing is just the torrent of data that organizations are collecting today right so yes not to, and it's not just about the the data um you know that that you know Traditionally, a finance person would would be almost like a, a kind of service provider to the business. Say, hey, I've got some data. Can you tell me what it means? It's not about that anymore. Finance is playing a critical role in empowering the organization, in pushing that data out so that you can get insights faster. And that has meant that finance has had to become increasingly tech savvy uh, and, and you know, figure out how do we get data to insight as fast as possible. Um, so you're seeing more finance people with te- with more technology uh, experience and you know, a lot more MBAs so that they can understand the business better. I totally uh, validate that from a um, uh, certainly inside point of view. At Salesforce, our financial team, led by our CFO, incredibly tech savvy. I don't even like using back office anymore because he and his team are so forward looking and and accessible. They're speaking at technology summits. They're deeply involved in roadmap discussions. Uh, again, super tech savvy. So I think for certainly digital native companies, companies that were born in the cloud and mobile and social and have strong data underpinnings, uh, the, the, the human resource team, the, 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 the finance team, these are teams that are really at the edge of the business, engaging with customers and partners. And the more you practice radical transparency, you, 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 you find these, what traditionally called back office functions, really actively involved in making sure customers understand the business. So speaking of tech savvy, can you give us a sense of how CFOs, certainly leading forward-looking CFOs, uh, are, are, are working with emerging technologies like, for example, artificial intelligence to help you know, streamline, add automation, and really deliver, as you said, data and insights in near real term to all of the various lines of business owners and and the entire ecosystem. Yeah, I think the, um, if you look, if you go go back a few years again, just to get context here, there's been quite a dramatic modernization of uh, the finance system. So starting with ERPs, right? (laughs) You know, we're upgrading. (laughs) Of with ERP, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) There's been a lot of upgrading of uh, core financial systems and and, uh, supply chain systems 
um, to you know basically lubricate the the business and be able to get that data you know transact and get the data out to to folks quicker. I think you've also seen um, you know in the financial planning side of things. I mean, we've seen an incredible rise. Um, you know, myself and our cohort of peers. Uh, in this space, right? I've had tremendous growth. So a modernization there where really the objective is how do we get the data out to people? How do we increase the financial IQ of the whole organization? And that means getting the right data to folks at the right level too, right? So we've had, we've seen a fairly dramatic, um, you know, rise of kind of more granular data, right? Being able to plan and uh, make decisions on very fine grained detailed data, not just at the the corporate uh, GL kind of level. Um, so this is this has been coming along, and now we're at the we're at the vanguard now. I think of um, you know the rise of true predictive um, and decision support technologies, and this is a this is a, a, a an expression that we use a lot. Decision support, and we talk with our customers, and we've done a ton of R and D um, in this area. They really are wanting uh, the technology to kind of augment their human intelligence right so they're, they're looking for you know if i if i have a, a, a chart and i have a line and i want to interpret that line give me another line that a machine uh is showing me it doesn't mean i'm going to 100 percent trust that line but it's going to augment um you know my predictive abilities it's going to augment what we instinctively think as we're understanding our business so i don't think you can fully rule out the fact that you know, human intelligence is going to remain a very important factor in decision making for a long time. Uh, but they're absolutely very interested in uh, AI technology, specifically around um, you know revenue forecasting, um, anomaly detection uh, is very important, right? So especially when you're looking at you know larger organisations with vast, complex businesses, they want to be able to detect things quickly, and that that lends itself very well to uh, machine learning models. Um, so things like that. I think, Vala, it's at the we're at the vanguard. I think there, you know, there's so much to go over the next decade uh, in this area. So companies are exploring it. They're super curious about it, um, especially in the finance side of things. I think it's at relatively early days compared to some other functions. Sure, sure. Yeah, Hill. On with the shift, though. What are you hearing from you know your your customers really about the shift that's going on in terms of you know continuous planning, right? Um, people trying to get to these like zero FTE finance offices. Um, you know, what's happening with like, you know, data and insight marketplaces? Like, where's this all this going? Like, are people subscribing to this? Are they ready for it? Or are they still a little bit cautious? Yeah, I think that um, automation, I, I, I doubt anyone's going to get to zero FTE. I certainly don't hear that from my my customers um, but start, you know, continuous planning is, is an expression we use here at host um, it is a, a vision and an aspiration and it's all about speeding up the cycle so if you think about planning um, planning and running a business has historically been thinking you think about that classic kind of you know circular process diagram where you plan then you go into this next part of the cycle you execute then you go into analyze insight and back to plan. Well, we know that a modern business can't operate with this kind of, um, you know, this kind of cycle, right? Where it's very slow and it's like, well, at the end of the quarter, we'll go back and we'll have a look at what, what that means for the next part of the cycle. So continuous planning is about speeding up that spin cycle. And that means practically a couple of things. 
it means that you need data to flow through the organization on a daily basis, right? So how's our sales performance? We have customers literally that look at sales performance on it and, and they break it up into eight segments a day, right? Especially as you're getting uh, towards the end of a, a period, you want to really know how that's, that's moving. So um, frequency of the data flow and the insight and the decision the frequency is going up dramatically. We've often talked about the speed of decision-making, right? So can we get the day of the insight out and make faster, better decisions? This is still true, of course. But to me, the big shift here is the frequency of decision-making. We don't, I ask any CEO, if you could make 52 decisions on a particular topic per annum versus 12 or four, what would you choose? That's a great question. But, but here's the counter. Here's the counter, though. Are we better off making like taking the long view and making like shorter sets of like short, taking big, wider sets of decisions like between the, the time frames, or do we take shorter sets of faster decisions? So, has, do we know which is better at this moment? What I what I hear, I was at a dinner recently with um, about a dozen uh, CFOs um, in New York City from different industries and different sized companies. Um, very sophisticated group of people, I have to say. Um, what they talked about, we, so we talked about this particular topic, right? Um, they say having a strategic plan, a five to 10 year plan is vital, right? So doing that long range, more strategic plan at a, at a, at a fairly detailed level, understanding what the objectives are with different parts of the business. You know, are we going to expand the, the business internationally at what rate, how are we going to stage and sequence the events that we want to occur? But of course, Reality then bites, okay? I mean, we, we operate in a highly dynamic business world. Um, Amazon can arrive into your marketplace tomorrow, um, sight unseen, right? All of a sudden, boom, you've got a new competitor. You're done. Going into the pharmaceutical uh, retail trade, right? So, you know, people can, had conjecture about whether that would happen. The day it happens, new ball game. So course correction, I think, is, is important as well. And it's not just about course correcting for bad events. It's also, you know, a lot of companies I talk to, they're doing very well. They're actually doing better than what they planned for, right? So it's how do we take those excesses? What are we going to do? This is a good thing. Okay, now I've got, you know, I've got another half year, but I, I'm ahead of plan. What can I do to accelerate that? What opportunities might that create for us? So you need, Ray, I think, to balance the two. Have a strategic long-term understanding where you want to go, what the intent is for your business and your mission, but also be able to be relatively agile as a company and course correct, um, whether it's opportunity or it's uh, recovering from surprises and, and trying to you know, get through that. Grant, when you talk to these CFOs and you guide them uh, in terms of opportunities to modernize their legacy processes or perhaps even new business model innovation, how CFOs can drive opportunities for incremental revenue from new sources and new capabilities. What are some of the business or technology challenges that are, that are common in terms of, uh, you know, what the modern CFO has to deal with in terms of growing their business? Yeah, great question. I would say that um, the, the biggest thing I think, well, firstly, let me describe what a modern CFO is. They're, they're very strategic. <laughs> they tend to, they, 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 they tend these days, I think, to have um, much more of like MBA, general management, background training. 
they tend to be, if you go back 2002, Sarbanes-Oxley came along, right? There was an over-index towards CPAs as your, your CFOs. I think that shifted back, you know, nearly 20 years later, we have a lot more business-oriented CFOs. They tend to be often the successes of the CEO. They get groomed for that. So they're very strategic, they're very strong in understanding culture. They're strong leaders. They're charismatic. They understand that integrating companies after acquisitions, culture is probably half the game. So it's a, um, that's that's who we're talking about. So once well, you're... Are they, are, they, are they most likely to be the next CEO? Do you find that given the fact that they're, they have strong business acumen, strong you know accounting background, most likely, and they're more charming and more accessible to customers, are you finding more CFOs are, in terms of succession planning are, are potentially next CEOs? Yeah, I think there's a quite a few studies out there showing showing that is that is the case. I mean, the CFO is typically considered um, in a lot of companies to be the the, the number two executive. Um, but depend it depends a little bit. I mean, I think if you look at um, consumer packaged goods, I mean, a lot of it is about branding and and understanding the market. So you're seeing CMOs and chief commercial officers <laughs> being groomed into coming into the uh, into the CEO position. So. I think it can depend a little bit on the, the industry, um, but you know, you mentioned Infor, uh, great example. Kevin Kevin Samuelson recently um, was appointed CEO of the company with Charles Phillips moving to executive chairman position. So, you know, there's a good example point. You know, a recent one in the software industry with Kevin taking the CEO position from CFO. So, you know, I think the the to answer your original question, um, the the thing that we're finding the most, I think, is um, two things. It's a lot of it is actually about sales and marketing, right? Frankly, it's there has been a massive modernization, um, customer experience, the emphasis on customer experience, and CFOs are really getting this today. They really understand it because they're seeing companies like Apple just absolutely go out and dominate the market. Obviously, with their design thinking, their brilliance in engineering, but I think. One of the things that they do incredibly well is they create this amazing unified customer experience through every touch point, right? And they see that and they're like, wow, I wonder what we can do with that. Amazon's probably another really good example of that, right? And you know, you guys at Salesforce, this is a world you guys live in. You know, the world I live in, you know, from more the financial side of things is is more about enabling the finance team to empower the organization, increase the, the financial IQ of the organization so that they can support the financial rigor and decisions that are, that are needed to actually go out and, and invest more in your sales and marketing and, and your global supply chains and, and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, that's a great point, I mean, that we're talking about earlier. We, we, this postmodern CFO and Bala, the, the comment you made earlier as well, tying it back to uh, Grant here, this is, this, they are actually thinking about the overall strategy of the, of, the, of the company, right? I mean, we're talking about the opportunities here to actually drive the company, thinking about the right business models, thinking about the impact of those business models, right? And, and the thing that you talked about earlier, Grant, about really getting decision-making in the hands of more people. I mean, if, if you can do that, I mean, there's a huge potential to speed up, right? Not just the decision-making, but really the impact of that decision-making, which is kind of huge. So. Yeah. But hey, you know, hey, I wanted to chat with you a little bit. We got a few few seconds here left, but what I really want to chat with you is about like your progression, man. You've gone from CMO to CEO, right? Yeah. Of two startups, 
right? So talk about that transition. What have you learned along the way? We're just talking about CFOs becoming CEOs. Look, you're a CMO that became a CEO. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So. Well, well, thank you. I, I, um, I know we've only got a, a minute or so before you um, go to your next guest. I think um, for me, it's just been, I, I've always been a, um, from a young age, I've always been a business guy. You know, when I was seven years old, you know, my, my siblings and one or six kids, they, they were like, yeah, you're going to be running a company one day. So I've always kind of felt like I've had that in my DNA. Um, the, the thing that I found, um, you know, as a, as a, I would say a modern CMO is I'm, I'm always been quite strategic. I've always been able to think about the market and how you position in a market. And, you know, it's, it's chess, you know, you, it's not just what you do today. It's about, you know, multiple steps and thinking about how the competition will respond to the things you're going to do and, and so on and so forth. So I've always enjoyed that. Um, you know, I've worked very hard uh, as well on my, my leadership uh, skills and, and what I can bring to the team there. So I really, I really love it. It exercises all parts of my brain. Uh, it's uh, so CEOs are, is it often talked about as a super challenging role, but I'll also tell you, and Ray, you'll attest, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I get a lot of joy from uh, the impacts that, that, that I can have helping my team grow, um, helping our customers. It's a really rewarding uh, experience. Well, this is wonderful. We're here with Grant Holleran, CEO of Host Analytics. You can follow him more at Twitter, at Grant Holleran, G-R-A-N-T-H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N. And of course, you can hear this episode on SoundCloud, Apple, uh, and of course, um, on YouTube as well. But uh, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, Grant. Thank you, Grant. Right. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Yeah. You can sense the passion, excitement in the CEO. That's that all. All successful companies need CEOs that love what they do, and that was very clear uh, with Grant's interview. Uh, I also think that yeah, I mean, again, when I think of my company's CTO, uh, CFO, he's incredibly active on multiple dimensions. So it's uh certainly not someone that you know appears to be leading a back office function for sure our next guest uh we're privileged to have aaron harris uh cto of sage as sage's global cto aaron is responsible for sage's technology and product vision aaron has more than 25 years of high-tech engineering experience in business applications and software development strategies from Sage's Enact's earliest days, Aaron has led the company's product vision and technology direction. He's a pioneer in cloud computing, and he has helped uh, um, Sage build the world's first cloud architecture delivering on-demand financial applications. Uh, Aaron regularly contributes to development of best practices for cloud computing, service-oriented architecture, platform as a service, and accounting and finance technology standards. He's also hands-on leading investments in AI and machine learning, distributed ledgers, blockchain, and other emerging technologies to transform the way people think about and uh, work. You can follow Aaron on Twitter at A-A-R-O-N underscore R underscore Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. Welcome, Aaron, to Disrupt TV. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, hey, here. congratulations on your role. I mean, you went, you were originally at Intact and now you're the global CTO of Sage. Let's start talking a little bit about your career. I mean, like all good roads, you started out at Accenture. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, what you did. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I started at Arthur Anderson, the other side of the, uh, the family from Accenture. <laughs> wow. No, no, no. But hey, yeah, but talk a little bit about the career, what you've been doing, how you got here. Um, because like the role that you play is significant, given the size of Sage and, and the role it plays, especially in enterprise software around the world. 
Yeah, so uh, you know, we can, we can go all the way back to the days at Arthur Anderson. I, I, I started at Arthur Anderson because I didn't have the courage to do what I really wanted to do, which was a, an accounting software startup. So I went to work for Arthur Anderson thinking mm -hmm. I'd have a very bright, secure, stable, no risk future there. We all know how that worked out. <laughs> uh, about uh, 20 years ago, a few of us uh, uh, formed uh, you know, the team that, that founded Intact. Uh, 17 years or so into that journey. By the way, I joke that I was the longest serving private company CTO in Silicon Valley at the time, and I, I challenge anybody to prove me wrong on that. Wow. Uh, but I, I, let, I led Intact as CTO for about 17 years until we were acquired by Sage just over two years ago. Amazing. And, uh, six months ago, uh, I was uh, asked to be the, the global CTO for, for Sage. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. That's amazing. I was with a prior company for um, uh, 20 years before I joined Salesforce, but multiple roles. So 17 years as CTO, that's, that's unbelievable. I don't think I've ever heard that. Um, <laughs> congratulations, that's, that's amazing. So talk about pressure. I mean, everyone's talking about, you know, all companies are tech companies, all companies uh, that are growing are tech software companies, all are data driven. So as as CTO, when it comes to product vision and, and adoption of emerging technology to, for di differentiation, we just talked to our previous guest about AI and automation. Can you talk to us about, you know, this awesome responsibility you have as CTO to take what for some are just buzzwords and actually bring those technologies to life and really help your company grow? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, so, so doing this, uh, in the way that I do it for, for Sage, I mean, it's a massive, massive opportunity for me. When you, when you go through the experience of, of building a startup, and I don't care how much funding you have, you know, you're always, you're always having to, to scratch and, and, and be incredibly focused on priorities and, and really make sure you're doing just the right things in order to be successful. And, and now suddenly as the CTO of a multi-billion dollar global technology company, uh, you know, I, on the one hand, I have massive resources available uh, to, to, to actually implement the vision. Right. But man, it's quite a calling. Uh, we have millions and millions of customers worldwide. We've got you know, well north of 10,000 employees. And uh, you know, the good thing in my, you know, for me is the company was really already going in the right direction mm. before, I, before I, I started in this role. Uh, Really bad career advice, by the way. Um, <laughs> what you want to do when you take on a new executive position is tell your investors and the board, hey guys, things are way better than I thought they were. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you're good at setting expectations there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to go in and tell them, oh man, it's, it's really bad. The last guy sucked. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, you want to make it really easy to show success. But, it, but in Sage's case, uh, you know, the the, the initiatives were already funded, that the company was already moving in the right direction. And my job basically is to make sure that we're all aligned on, on the right vision. Uh, I feel my job is to make sure that we're telling our stories, uh, that the world is getting excited about uh, what we're doing, and, and make sure that our stories are really landing mm. with the people who are critical to our success, right? So in our case, it's CFOs and other finance leaders so we also have a very large business in, in people management and payroll, right? So HR leaders, uh, very large business selling into small, uh, smaller, smaller organizations, so business owners and accountants and bookkeepers. But if, if you can take these emerging technologies like AI and, and blockchain, robotic process automation, mm -hmm. help them figure out things like digital transformation, 
if, if you can actually distill that down to tangible stories that say to me, you know, as a CFO who's worried about, you know, how I'm going to make my business successful, right? You're, you're giving them the tools, right? They're giving them the way to talk about it. And, and if you get that aligned, then it just works. Um, people start repeating the same stories. So Aaron, it was Steve Jobs who said the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. I get a sense that a successful CTO, after hearing from you, not only has to have strong technical uh, expertise, uh, they also have to understand that the language of business is finance and the importance of storytelling, bringing meaning and, 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 and alignment to an organization by communicating why you do things and, and, and then the how and the what. So storytelling seems to be an incredible part of your job. Absolutely. Uh, I, I joke. Most people think I'm joking when I say this, but I actually think it's true. The CTO is not the best technologist in the organization. Mm. The CTO is the one engineer that can explain to marketing what the engineers are doing. Wow. <laughs> it's, that, it's that odd intersection of ability to communicate and tell stories uh, and be able to, you know, work closely with, with the people who have to actually build it. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but, but it, it's really true that when you have an organization with massive horsepower and massive capability, yeah. you've got people that are, that, you know, the practitioners are experts in their fields. There's tremendous power in aligning all of that around a story, right? That, that resonates, that, that gives people uh, direction. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's really critical in empowering people to make decisions, right? So, uh, and being a bit uh, free to do the right things when you all know what direction you're going, you understand the framework, mm -hmm. suddenly everything just works better, you know, decisions are made faster, and ultimately, you know, of course, customers are happier because you're doing the right thing for customers too. Sure. Well, very cool. Well, hey, look, you know, when we look at the Sage portfolio, it's wide, right? You know, Intact was focused just on finance, Sage has got everything from like construction to forestry, to think about what's happening with business management. You even got payments. You got like pay cards or something, if I remember like that. So, so it's a wide range of businesses. What technologies are so critical for, for your future at this moment? Like, what do you say? And you go look, you look at the portfolio and say, we've got to make these three types of strategic investments in the next three years. Yeah, so there, there's a couple of things, uh, and I'm going to leave the most obvious for last. <laughs> right, so, so number one is making sure that we've got cloud native platforms. Uh, to serve all of our core markets. Uh, you know, we need to have a powerful, compelling cloud platform as a destination that can, helps us to continue growing as an organization. We can build, you know, really, really rich ecosystems around these, these powerful native cloud platforms with solutions, including ours, uh, that we already have in the portfolio, but, but also, you know, partner applications. So that, that's, that's number one. But, but hold on, that's not easy. You guys were founded 38 years ago. You're sitting on a lot of legacy to move to the cloud. So it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, Ray. <laughs> so the blessing is that, you know, that portfolio is very profitable. Oh yeah. Uh, it, 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 it gives us reach to millions of customers. Yeah. And, and what that does is it gives us the assets and it gives us the market. Uh, you know, it really gives us the opportunity to develop uh, you know, this, this, this future that we're working toward, which by the way is, is maybe, I think, closer than people realize. Uh, mm -hmm. One of my, uh, you know, I'm on this mission to get Sage more credit than, you know, more, it, it deserves more credit for its cloudiness 
uh, uh, that that it's gotten in the past, but but still closer than we think. So so those that 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 portfolio really provides the powder uh, yep. that enables you've got us. The, you've got the business expertise, right? It's there. You've got all the ingredients. Exactly, yeah. and that's that is uh, really easy to overlook. I mean, when I you know I've been roaming the halls of Sage for the last six months. Uh, <laughs> I've uh, I've logged about four hundred thousand miles. Uh, you know, I've visited uh, 15 or so of our development centers around the world. Wow. And you know, it's, it's what I very consistently find is colleagues who are subject matter experts and a bit wonky about stuff. You know, like you, you meet the guy who like just is thrilled whenever there's a change in VAT regulations because it gives him a chance, <laughs> right? To, That's to something to do now. More. Let's look for more VAT in Brazil, more VAT in Poland. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Putin tax. States, you know, all over the organization, from the team that built the construction software, which, by the way, that team that built the construction software, you know, most of them were in Portland, Oregon. That's the team that scared me away from my first startup, right? I decided not to go into the home building software market because I didn't want to compete with with the, the Timberline product that Sage had. Timberline's amazing. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's, it's still to this day, right? It's it's sort of the gold standard, and we still have those people, and they're still as passionate as ever about uh, WIP and you know the vagaries <laughs> of of uh, you know job costing. So. We, we, we've absolutely got the personnel to do this. And so it, it really is a matter for Sage of focus, uh, you know, making sure that, that we're investing in the right things. Um, we have, uh, as I mentioned, millions of customers. Uh, not all of them are on native cloud products. So that gets me to the second thing. Um, you know, we're in a world now where the idea of monolithic applications and monolithic platforms is just, it's, 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 if it's not dead already, it's dying, right? Mm-hmm. Customers, are being served through a proliferation of applications and services and tools. And some bits are del- delivered through, through Amazon and some through Azure, and they're buying into a bunch of stuff from Salesforce. And the reality is at the end of the day, my solutions, what I, what I use to get my, my work done, uh, there's just a, there's a, a massive uh, uh, repertoire of, of technologies that are, that are getting that done. So what we're doing for our customers who aren't quite ready to make that leap onto these cloud native platforms mm. is we're giving them all these high value cloud services. And in many cases, you know, they, they, they haven't quite, I think, digested the fact that a lot of the capabilities they're using in these, these on-premise products is actually not delivered in the form of a cloud service. Mm. Uh, whether it's, you know, getting your bank feeds, whether it's electronically paying your vendors or getting paid by your customers, uh, doing your, your year end tax submissions, uh, all that stuff, whether you're on a cloud native product or one of our, what we call our connected cloud products, that's all getting delivered through, through web services, right, that we're creating. So that's number two. But when it comes right down to it, you know, what's the most important technology? What's going what's gonna to shape the future? It's, it's unambiguously AI. Uh, AI changes yep. everything. Yep. Uh, every, every aspect of every capability that we are uh, building for our customers is going to be reshaped by AI. Wow. Well, you know, related to that, we actually tell people that if you're a cloud vendor and you're still selling like software five to 10 years from now, you miss the boat, right? This is really about selling next best action, recommendations, insights, right? There are going to be these insight marketplaces that people are going to subscribe to, right? And it's all powered um, by, by that, by the data and the data decisions that you get from AI. So 
Right, absolutely. You know, we talk about things like the invisible UI, right? So the, the UI, the graphical user interface as we know it, kind of dead, right? You know, that's just not the way people are going to work in the future. Uh, you know, so I love navigation trees. Come on, everybody loves a good navigation tree and flow. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, conversational I stuff, that's be, temporary. <laughs> I think there will always be, you know, those, uh, those heavy duty power users who, who want to access, they want to use a 27 inch monitor, right? That's <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Those users will, will, will exist. But if we're ever gonna reach the rest of the, the people, right? The rest of the ecosystem, <laughs> like we don't- That's a phrase, built for the big monitor. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as, as, as you talked about 400,000 miles of travel, and I'm sure a lot of that is, you know, meeting with your customers who are trailblazing and thought leaders and, so what do you, how did the customer engagement shape the way you think as a global uh, CTO in terms of you know, the, the talent that you need, the technology investments you need to make, and uh, you know, how are you gonna take Sage to, to be able to compete and win market share five, 10 years from now? How did the customers shape your, 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 your thinking? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the origin of everything. Yeah. They really are. Uh, when I look back over, you know, what, what did we do right uh, at when we were building the intact business? One of the things we absolutely got right was a focus on the customer. Uh, I, I would um, estimate that I probably spent 25% of my time as CTO, wow. either awesome. with customers, Terrific. working with sales, uh, with prospects, uh, you know, getting out to events, uh, whether they're hours or other events, right. uh, but but having that 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 close connection with customers is absolutely critical. You know, it's it's not just understanding requirements, right? That that's important. Sure. Um, it, it's it's actually the empathy that comes with it, right? When when you're nope. when you're, nope. when, you're exactly. when you're when you're sitting there in their business, watching right. how they work, listening to to you know their 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 pain, <laughs> you know what. Right. What, what they desperately need to be successful, it develops an empathy that just permeates everything you do. Uh, and and, and I, I often got a little bit of in, in trouble with this, I guess, in my time at Intact, even when we'd become a larger company, when we were you know, pretty large there towards, towards the end before we sold to Sage, I, I would say yes uh, to go uh, work on a small deal with a sales rep or to go work uh, on a, you know, a customer who needed a little attention, even if the customer didn't pay as much. Sure. Even if there wasn't a lot of direct reward in doing that, indirectly, it fed into the brand, right? It, 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 it created this, this cycle about a reputation for really, really caring about customers. That's right. That's Everything right. you do, every decision that you make, all the innovation you know, that you plan, uh, it has to start with really understanding the customer and having that deep empathy uh, for, for what their needs are. I, I love hearing a CTO talk about championing and cultivating a culture of gratitude and humility. So even if the deal isn't there, even if it's a small customer, yep. just yep. demonstrating accessibility and interest, I think that's what's missing from a lot of big companies, even big successful companies, is they tend to, because of their growth and success, sometimes, especially at the leadership level, uh, you know, take for granted that it was a bunch of those small customers that helped you get there. So, yeah, yeah. So, you, know, if it means you make a sacrifice and you go and you speak with them and you learn from them, that, that's, that's what I think every CTO should do. And, and the 25%, I think, is a great 
benchmark for any you know, CTOs that are listening to us, spend at least a quarter of your time. And it's hard to do. I mean, 25% really hard. time is... <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Most CTOs are introverts, right? We don't, we don't naturally <laughs> right. Right. go totally. out and meet no. people we don't know. What, 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 what people? No, I was kidding. Um, so, hey, so congratulations. Sage Intact is on its 20th birthday. So let's spend a quick moment talking about the little journey. Any highs, any lows, any things that uh, made it over, a success story? <laughs> over 20 years, there's been quite a few highs and quite a few lows. Um, uh, I would, so let, let me start with the highs, right? So the highs almost always come when you have a chance to be with a customer. And you can see that that idea that you had, you know, four or five years ago, that you thought, you know, might work, that might solve problems, that might be a little bit of a game changer. When you can sit with a customer, and, and not only are they using that and being successful, but they're sort of parroting back to you the vision. Uh, it, oh man, it's 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 just hugely hugely rewarding uh, whenever you have an experience like that, and that's magnified at events like the annual user conference. Uh, when, when you get thousands of people together that, that have all been sort of on this journey, uh, that is just so rewarding. Uh, uh, you know, you have to have a lot of misses along the way to get there. I, I can write a book about all the things uh, that we tried that didn't work. Um, you know, I started off, uh, despite the way I look right now, I was pretty young when we got started and uh, inexperience, uh, you know, led to a lot of uh, mistakes and things I wish I could do over. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just seeing, uh, the customer succeed is, is far and away the biggest, uh, the biggest high the lows, you know, um, when you, when you, when you spend 17 years to, to build a company and you go through, you know, you go through recessions, you go through world changing events, uh, like nine 11, which was sort of early into the history of intact. Uh, and you have to make very hard decisions about, uh, you know, uh, where are you going to prioritize, uh, you know, times when you have to cut, cut headcount, right? You know, scale back the company times when you have to, to stop investing in things that, that, that aren't working. Uh, you know, those are, those are always incredibly, incredibly painful. Um, you know, if, if we were to write the book, I think about intact, um, I think actually the story of intact and, and its path is, is more representative of the Silicon Valley experience than people realize. We had a really big exit, uh, but, but it took us 17 years to get there and a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And fundamentally, you know, it comes down to perseverance, yeah. right? We yeah, had a really dedicated leadership team that had virtually no change in the last 10 years. It was amazing. And I remember like back in the early days, it was like a partnership announced every three days. <laughs> that was like hilarious. Was Some like of them the were a little interesting. Today. I can't remember who did that. Uh, I don't know if it was Peter. Someone, someone was announcing a partnership every like three days. I was like, yeah. what's up with that? Some of them worked yeah. out. Some of them didn't. Oh, it's okay. No, but it was fun. It was just like the way you guys did that. So, But hey, we are here with Aaron Harris, the uh, global CTO at Sage. You can follow him at Aaron, at A-A-R-O-N underscore R underscore. H-A-R-R-I-S. Thanks so much for being on the show and congratulations on the 20th anniversary. Thank, Thank you very you much. Guys. You're terrific. Thank you so much. Wow. Two incredible, uh, you know, executive CEO and, and, and CTO all focused in, in, you know, helping businesses be more efficient and customer focused. And that's great. And speaking of customer focus and customer experience and driving, you know, meaningful outcomes are our final guest on the show is uh, Nicole France, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, focusing on digital marketing, sales effectiveness, and customer experience. 
Nicole's research examines the interrelationship between sales marketing and customer engagement and how to make it more effective. Uh, Nicole evaluates the tools as well as the principles and practices that generate the best results. She has over 20 years of experience as both technology analyst and marketeer, so practitioner and uh, thought leader, influencer, and analyst. Uh, Nicole has unique perspective on both the trends and uh, uh, practicalities of effective customer engagement. Please follow Nicole on Twitter at LN France, F-R-A-N-C-E. Welcome back, Nicole, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Paula. Thanks to you and Ray both for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, look at look at look at the background. I wonder what country she's in. This is pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> my my Mediterranean patio in Southern California. Yeah. It's not smelling too smoky today, so it's pretty good. Okay, okay. You're, you're in good shape. Now glad everyone's <laughs> all right. Um, so you just wrote a blog post. And this is a very interesting blog post because it's talking about um, you're a CDP skeptic. So first of all, let people know what the heck a CDP is. And more importantly, uh, talk about why you're a CDP skeptic. And let's start there. Okay, sounds good. Um, so CDP stands for Customer Data Platform. Uh, if you're anywhere near marketing, you've probably heard about this. You've probably heard quite a lot about this. You may have one. Um, and really the, the idea and the promise of a CDP is to pull all of the various disparate sources of customer data together in one place where you can analyze and make sense of it and take action. Um, the, in my view, major drawback and, and one of several reasons why I'm not convinced that CDPs are actually as useful as they promise to be is because they're by and large really designed for marketing and not really for anyone else. And as you guys know, and as I think we heard actually very artfully described by Grant and Aaron in various contexts uh, just a few minutes ago, the problem is that it's not just marketing that really needs to have, one, a holistic view of customers, and two, a, con a consistent source of information that they use, right? So why am I a CDP skeptic? I think it really comes back to, and you know, this is part of my background, Bala, the, the practicalities and the actual use of this stuff. So I think the promise is we're going to solve this problem of having a consistent, holistic view of customers. Um, the reality is that is always problematic, and I'll come back to why in a moment. But more importantly, it only really does it for marketing in most cases. And that, in my view, is a fundamentally short-sighted way of looking at customer information. And frankly, it's not a good investment, right? If you're spending money on trying to overcome the challenges you have across your organization in creating good customer experiences by understanding enough about your customer to be able to interact with them consistently, that extends way, way beyond marketing. So if you're only looking that far, you're not looking far enough. Do, pe do people build CDPs for more than marketing though? Or is it only designed for marketing in this case that you're talking about here? Well, so this is where we start getting into some interesting challenges because a big part of the issue is not just creating a repository and putting all of the data in, right? There, there are lots of different approaches to doing that. You know, there, there are parts of typically IT that are very focused on data gathering and consolidation and management. The important part of a CDP is really about extracting some useful insights from it and being able to do something with it. And in answer to your question, Ray, I think, yes, absolutely, there is a strong desire to apply this to more than marketing. I think the reality is a lot of the tools that have been on the market for a while do not make that very easy. They're fundamentally designed primarily for marketers. And, and you know, there's a reason for that, right? It, it was overcoming a very practical challenge, which is 
marketers needed something that they could use quickly with short response times and that didn't require a huge amount of technical expertise to derive the insights they needed from those data sets. That I'm wholly supportive of, of doing. The problem is marketing isn't the only part of the organization that needs that help, right? And I think the, the big issue for, here, for me here is uh, really around a couple of areas. One, if you're trying to focus on customers and customer experience, you have to be looking across silos. You have to be looking across the organization, every part of the company that has any touch point to customers. Two is, you know, there's also an implicit promise here that you're always, you're, you're going to have one source of truth for customer information. And so it's going to be accurate. And here's the reality, twofold, right? One is this, the pace of business uh, of change of what your customers are doing means there's always some degree to which customer data is going to be outdated. It's just a simple reality. And, and that's about designing for the real world as opposed to an ideal world that none of us actually inhabit, right? The other element is, you know, your business is not in stasis, right? Your business is doing things like maybe mergers and acquisitions, or you're extending and expanding into new markets, or you're trying out new offerings and product lines. All of these things mean that you probably are adding new sources of data that are not necessarily going to be automatically part of this one perfect, consistent view of customers. So that's, that's one aspect, the data consistency. The other really big thing for me is, um, although everyone across the organization needs to be working from the same playbook, you know, we've got to have a consistent view of customers, even if it's a little bit imperfect. Um, if we're all working to the same view, then we have a much, much better likelihood of being well-coordinated and consistent in the way that we interact with those individual customers across the enterprise. And that means also, you know, what customer service needs from that customer information is going to be a little bit different to what marketing is trying to do. Um, and that's going to be different again to, to what sales really needs. Uh, finance probably wants a view of this stuff too, but what they're looking for is going to be in a completely different kind of context to what other parts of the business are. So responding to, understanding, and, and letting those use cases actually drive how you invest in those systems, to me, is actually a really fundamentally critical part of getting customer data management right. Yeah, it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense. In, in your article, you, you did talk about it can't just be used for um, repositories and what you need is tools that flow seamlessly into all of the enterprise systems that, and re that require customer insights to operate effectively. And I often find when they are, you know, line of business specific tools that allow you to gain more contextual intelligence about customer engagement opportunities and touch points, you end up, you, you, you have to depend on, you know, workflows that would carry those insights to other lines of business and in the absence of those workflows, you don't have a complete picture of the customer journey. Therefore, you're not able to build your anticipatory muscle to deliver uh, value uh, just at the right moment, the right channel to the, to the right person. You also wrote in the article that, you know, these tools need to accommodate both deterministic customer data uh, from systems of record and probabilistic customer data predictions based on observed behavior. And maybe okay. this promise of ML and ability for more sophisticated tools powered by algorithms. Can you talk a little bit about having both the capability of deterministic and probabilistic 
uh, data uh, and insights in order to really reach your full potential uh, aimed at delivering you know, an incredible customer experience? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so part of this is about, um, as you say, being able to leverage a lot of the tools, the more advanced technologies, machine learning for sure, applying artificial intelligence to those data sets to determine useful patterns and gain some insights that you might not have had through other means. You know, when you're using large volumes of data, particularly the kind of behavioral data that we get from a lot of digital channels, honestly, it's nearly impossible to make sense of that stuff without using some of these capabilities yeah. because there's just too much of it and you certainly can't act on it in a meaningful amount of time. Yeah. So, you know, you need that speed and you need that ability to deal with that volume. At the same time, you know, not everything that we want to do with regard to understanding our customers is real time or even near real time, right? So a lot of that is, um, you know, making bigger connections. So what are the patterns that we see, for example, around uh, the segmentation that we've defined for our customers and how that actually results in business that we've won? You know, um, how does that result in sales? What are some of the patterns that we see? What are some of the connections? Do we, have we defined the right segments? Do we understand what really makes those customer segments different and distinct that allow us to better uh, communicate with them effectively or anticipate that they needed, you know, a different type of information to help them uh, right. make a decision perhaps. So all of these things are ultimately part of this consistent view of customers. And it's back to this idea of context again. You know, part of it is the customer's context. When you call in to customer service and you've got an immediate need, you want them to one, know who you are, not to ask, not to ask you every time you get mm -hmm. handed to a different agent, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you want preferably for them to know all about what you already have from them, right? So you don't want to have to be interrogated on what you've bought and what your problem is with regard to, you know, all the things that you've, you've already purchased as a customer. That's the kind of thing that really is very much about connecting parts of these data sets in real time. Um, if it's a matter of thinking about what you might be purchasing uh, in the near future, that's not necessarily so real time. Um, and there might be some prompts that, that are timely and important that as a marketer, uh, the team really wants to, to focus on getting to you at the right moment in time. Um, but you know, some of this is also about those bigger trend analyses. You know, what strategy is looking at? The strategy team isn't looking at real-time stuff, right? They're looking about those bigger trends and say, where are changes happening in my customer base? Where are changes happening among my competitors? How can I look at the data I have to tell me uh, where we ought to be changing our portfolio or changing our, our um, view of, of where our appropriate customers really are. Very different cadences, very different types of needs. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you want to know who bought from you and what they bought. That's deterministic data. How they got into uh, that relationship with you is a lot of um, probabilistic data that, that you can identify these patterns of behaviors that, that are going to be critical along the way. So it is really a very complex mix of things that you're asking for a system of, of you know, customer data management to be able to do. And it's as much about how you uh, structure the approach to collecting and managing that information as it is to the use cases that you define for actually putting it into practice and making decisions. And you introduced another layer of um, abstraction complexity when you talk about personally identifiable <laughs> Uh, information and so uh, is this consent? Do you have the consent 
from your stakeholder, customer, partner, employee, to use this data, behavioral data, to make that you know, recommended yep. offer. So, and to do that at scale, so speed, personalization, scale, and intelligent engagement opportunities all balanced by, you know, am I, am I gonna lose my customers or stakeholders trust by using this information to make uh, my, my next decision or action? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that is coming down to figuring out um, what you need to test with customers, uh, where you do have explicit permission, where you have implicit permission, but you need to get explicit permission. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of thinking that goes into getting the application and use of this right. Absolutely. Well, hey, so switching topics, I, I can't believe this, and you probably do know this. This is your first Constellation Connected Enterprise next week. I thought you've been here for it the is. last five years. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but actually, today is my today is my one year anniversary. Hey, congratulations! Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ray, you should. This yeah. Should be a gift. There should be a giveaway or something. <laughs> <laughs> I need some confetti shooting up behind. Yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. No. No, I'm looking forward to CCE. I think it's going to be great. We've got a whole bunch of conversations lined up on customer understanding and the future of customer experience. We've got some supernova awards that are touching on a bunch of different parts of this transformation, looking across marketing and sales and customer experience more broadly. So there's, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about while we're there. And I think a lot of great work that's going to come out of it as a result. That's awesome. Yeah. If you are moderating a panel, I just want to let you know it's best practice to take it easy on your guests and don't ask really hard. <laughs> Are you, you have to be on that panel as well? <laughs> so really take it easy on them. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll leave you guys with, with this thought from some of the, the stuff that's talking about this, you know, CDP area, the, the whole issue of customer data has really left me with, and that is, the power of starting the right conversation, which is my, my segue to, to CCE. But you know, one of the things that's really struck me, and it's in looking at the CDP stuff, it's in the work that I'm doing, um, evaluating CPQ offerings, configure price quote offerings at the moment. Uh, it came up at the Invoca Summit at, I was at uh, last week. Um, you know, there, there is a really interesting set of catalytic converters almost to digital transformation that I'm seeing from the right kinds of data being used in the right internal conversations. And when marketing can take something to sales or to customer service that says, hey, you know, we're eager to improve our own investment in things that drive better results. But here, by the way, are some challenges that we found, you know, we're, we're not responding to customers who are calling us wanting to buy an insurance policy fast enough or you know, we're generating a lot of customer service calls because, you know, we've got a problem that we haven't fixed with the offering. You know, that is when you begin to have some really significant transformation. And it is all about those internal conversations, getting the right people connected and having the right dialogue. And I feel like, you know, CCE is like, is that idea on a super writ large kind of plane? It is all you, about connecting the great brains, right? Will you be my palladium to my catalytic converter? Just kidding. Palladium's <laughs> running at $1,800 an ounce. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, hey, we are, here with, we are here with Nicole France. You can follow her on Twitter. She's our vice president and principal analyst um, looking at customer understanding, customer experience, and all things customer. So follow her at L-N-F-R-A-N-C-E. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Happy Friday, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Happy Thank anniversary. You guys. Thank you so much.
it's uh it's without any exception every time we have uh nicole on the show it's after a wonderful you know uh article or or or, or thoughts that allow us to have the fastest 20 minute segment because, uh, <laughs> so much insight so much incredible uh thought leadership so it's terrific we don't have a show so, uh we're nope. we're at the constellation connect enterprise there's a hashtag for this incredible event hashtag cce 2019 so if you're not part of the 400 uh lucky folks that are at half moon bay uh next week you can certainly follow the hashtag you're going to see live streams on this hashtag you're going to see photos you're going to see poster boards with professional drawing that recap all of the keynote presentations in an incredible visual aid so do yourself a favor. Uh, I'm sure that you know the last five years this hashtag has trended on Twitter across the U.S. So um, definitely follow CCE 2019, and uh, you'll get some incredible insights even remotely with live streams and everything else. So the next show for us, which is episode 170, I think wow, close to 400 unique guests, um, is uh, two weeks from now. So I think I don't know 15th if I'm not mistaken, not next Friday, the Friday after. So we got Robert Glazer. He's the founder CEO of Acceleration Partners. His company has won Best Company Culture in Boston. He's just uh, author of a second book, best-selling book. So we're going to learn a lot from Robert. Tiffany Ashley Bell, Executive Director at Human Utility, uh, and Liz Miller, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Uh, I think Liz started today. <laughs> she just did, actually. <laughs> the cat is officially out of the bag. I'm sorry, so, I'm breaking so news is coming from. <laughs> you have breaking news. No, she's on the website and she's officially launched internally, and uh, you okay. will see her live awesome. at CC. Awesome. So, so uh, Ray, your closing remarks on episode one sixty nine. Hey, look, there's a lot of stuff going on in the. Uh, back office and the back office isn't the back office so as we've known in the past it is super strategic one of the things that's happening is really that automation that's happening it's allowing us to free up information free up time and free up our best people to focus on strategy and i think we're going to keep seeing more of that not just in the back office but all across the enterprise it's something very exciting and i'm glad we got to talk to those two individuals and then of course customer experience customer understanding is hot so we're going to uh, definitely follow nicole's research and of course check out the sessions at cce so thanks a lot everybody happy friday mm -hmm.